Lisa Fine is the Senior Counsel and Director of Clients for Pearson, the world's leading learning company. And she's also involved in all aspects of the ethics and compliance program, including trainings and communications, risk assessments, and leading and managing global investigations. Lisa started her legal career at an international law firm, where she was a litigator and also ran the Washington, D.C. pro bono program. She also worked in public interest law and advocating on behalf of persons with disabilities as part of a state protection and advocacy organization. Lisa also co-hosts the Great Woman in Compliance podcast with Mary Shirley, which focuses on the diversity of the compliance community and the women who make up our profession and others who support women in compliance. And as always, when, we, when I talk to my guests, I'm interested in what it's not so obvious, what is not written in the curriculum. I would like to learn about the human who impacts corporate integrity. Lisa will share some very impactful insights. Promised. And now I'm glad to have you here spending the next minutes together with us. Corporate integrity, fraud, non-compliance and cybersecurity. Would you like to understand the root causes, detect threats and take measurements to protect the most precious assets as a leader? You need to be prepared and stay actionable in the event of an incident. Sonia Sternemann talks in her podcast, The Human Factor, Corporate Integrity Matters. To leaders and entrepreneurs who want to have impact, foster corporate integrity, and act as role models. As an international expert for corporate governance and integrity, entrepreneur, and independent board member, she knows the challenges. Let her inspire you. So Lisa, thank you very much for accepting my invitation. I'm so happy and glad that you are here because as I told you already before, you're one of my role models because you started with your podcast and um, Great Women in Compliance many years ago before I even thought about having my own podcast. So we are not only sharing our professional passion, but also training and educating the next generation of leadership. You have an impressive career path and see a lot of different industries. And as you know, our conversation will also focus on you, your professional environment, and your own personal experience when it comes to corporate integrity. So uh, you having you here as an expert in compliance and being in constant contact with compliance professionals you teach, empower, and listen to, I'm very curious about your insights right now. Well, first of all, thank you so much for all of that. That's such a wonderful introduction. And I was just thrilled to hear from you. The work that you're doing and your podcast is great. And I've been listening after I met you. I'm also, as somebody who's to spend a lot of time in Switzerland, there's nothing that I enjoy more than also getting to talk about uh, compliance you know, globally. And also it really brings me back to some of my favorite professional and personal experiences. So thank you so much for having me here today. This is fantastic. Great. So I think I would also like to start with the first question because our listeners are also excited, not only me. So right now, you, you already had different roles in the past and also in different industries, but what is the role you have right now? And how does corporate integrity plays into that? Well, my role right now is I am Senior Counsel and Director of Compliance at Pearson, Pearson Education. It's actually been a really interesting time for the organization because learning is evolving so quickly. Because for many, many years, people who know Pearson, it was textbooks. 
But now the way people learn is so different, lifelong learning, changing it more of a you know, direct-to-consumer model where people think of it more almost like Netflix. They want to have a choice of what they're learning about. What do they need for school? How's the best thing? So my job is less from the educational day-to-day standpoint is from the more traditional um, ethics and compliance standpoint. And how does that work? Whether it's in how do we train people all over the world in anti-bribery, anti-corruption. I spend a lot of time doing investigations um, and a lot of other sort of different components to that uh, part of our job. So, but those are two of my, my main ones. And also working culturally around the world to make sure that we can translate what our code of conduct and our values are so when you talk about corporate integrity, I think a lot about help, helping and encouraging ethical decision making more than I think about the laws and rules. I, th- I think right now, you know, when you when you tell me what you exactly do in your industry, I think it's also a special audience you are how should, supporting here right now because it's a different industry to whatever we know. I know that you also work from other industries, you know, in the past. So what is the difference right now? Because I would expect that you have a lot of teachers also. Um, working for Pearson, you know, they have another idea about integrity, compliance, and ethical standards. So, what are the differences you see there? If you would, well, one, yeah, one that is fascinating to me, and this is particularly in the U.S., um, but is that many, many professors and teachers are actually considered public officials. So, a lot of the, um, you know, the, the things you think wouldn't matter, like. I'd like to take a teacher and talk about, you know, different products or other things to coffee. It's can you do that in certain states and in certain places? And how do you follow those rules? Because I don't think you usually think of your, you know, your teachers the same as you think of maybe, you know, your, your, your mayor or a government official that you think of that's elected for the government. And it's so defined differently in each state. Um, it's also one of the things that I love about it is that people who are teachers, educators, or former teachers, and I come from a family with some attorneys, but a lot of teachers and librarians, you have a true passion for learning and education that's different from other organizations. I mean, in the past, as we mentioned in Switzerland, I worked with Gate Gourmet and Gate Group, and I loved it. And there were so many fabulous things about it. But other than the people in that industry dealing with airline catering, it's not always the same kind of life sort of passion as learning might be for people. So there's like a different kind of context to it. Um, so isn't it, isn't it also sometimes difficult to teach teacher? You know what I mean? Because maybe it's, I also have my biases and stereotypes when I talk to teachers or how they would like to teach me all the time. Also when, you know, <laughs> in the close <laughs> friendships we have, but how do you deal with that? Because you also, that's what we discussed before, you also lead a team when you do the investigations. And how do you train your people in that specific environment? Well, I mean, one of the things is I work a bit less with some of the teachers as some of the, as many of the others would, because I'm working more with people who are selling products who may be former teachers. So they may be pretty sure that you, they're explaining to me, which makes sense. We know the industry better than you do. We know what people need so they can be the best learners and we know the products and how we want to share and communicate them. So, and they're right about that. They are the people who understand the products and how people learn better than I do. Where I can add the value is the, what are the consequences of how you go about doing that? And how do I get you to understand what I'm trying to do? So it's almost a, you know, thinking about the same way teachers learn from students Mm -hmm. is that, uh, you know, sort of the, that I have to cater how I 
communicate with them. And I think that's a theme for whatever that we do anywhere else. It just is the teachers need to really explain it to me um, where we have bigger challenges, I think, is at times where, you know, teachers are very sure that a book needs to be done in a certain way. I'm sure some of the people who are dealing with the editorial side have many more challenges on that, especially as the as the whole industry of education and it is an industry changes so much that you know professors have traditional ways. I mean, many of us do have our own biases. I think of I think of professors, you know, big big tape, you know, big chalkboard in the back explaining what to do, kind of like what you do in law school, at least in the U.S. with the Socratic discussions. But that's really not where people are. It's bite sized training. It's thinking differently. With COVID, people are at home. Yeah, and how and I think one of the biggest challenges for all of us is how we adapt to in online and learning that's more individual. Absolutely. And that's also when you when you said before and you talked about the transformation and where to go, I think that's exactly also one of the points. You know, the entire industries are transforming right now. They have to transform by um, due to COVID, but not only, you know, maybe it was just a booster that we are a little bit faster than we would have been without COVID. So how do you see these? top risks on your side right now? If you're going to, to transform, I think also the business model will change, also on your mm-hmm. side, slightly, yeah. but we have to, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, because I have I have some ideas, or I think I would see some kind of risks, but I would also like to hear that from your side. What are the risks you think you're going to have within the next few months or even years? Well, one of our biggest ones, I think, is, is and this is, as we move more to a direct-to-consumer model, as opposed to our consumers primarily being teachers and professors, it's more of students. So how do you deal with things as much as personal data, personal information, making sure that you're dealing with people who are, you know, students, they're always over 18. I mean, there's a lot of safeguarding, safety, data concerns, information security, especially because there is uh, so much of that. I think that's one of the biggest concerns that 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 I'm seeing a lot of. Um, and and how do we how do we respond and how are we proactive? Um, I also think that right now so many transactions and this is not unique to education or any other industry right now it is in part because everything is so much more online than it used to be and people are a little more isolated working out of their homes or if they're in an office with so many fewer people. How do you help? People make right decisions when they are afraid of potentially losing jobs. Things are different. You don't have sounding boards right next to you every day. You need to make an effort to do that. Um, And, you know, I think one of the sad realities, I do believe that most people are trying to do the right thing. But if you are trying to figure out the way to get around it or the, you know, the shortcuts, you don't have the same sort of kind of daily reality check or people looking over you, which is great for most people, but for some of the people that are, you know, coming up, you know, keeping us in, in our jobs, yeah. um, you know, that's really a challenge too. And how, how do you best do that? And, and I guess the last point from me being on your own thing is building relationships with people becomes harder and harder if you never see each other in person. So you have to really try to get to know people so that they want to talk to you before a problem turns up or think, this could add value to what we're trying to do from a business standpoint. Absolutely. So, and also when you, when I listen to you right now, you know, I also have my fraud triangle in mind saying, hey, the pressure is increasing because they are alone, they are at home, they do not have the relationship they used to have. And I think also the rationalization part is much easier because you are alone and I'm isolated. And I think it's one of the biggest risks we have right now, how to make sure that we still have access 
to our teams and make sure that we know where they stand at a certain moment in time. And yeah, thank you very much for sharing that. And I also had another question in mind about the biases, you know. What I see in some industries, there are biases when it comes to integrity and ethical leadership and also compliance. So what are the biases you see in, in your industry, teaching industry, for example? Are there any others than you have seen in the past? Well, I think one that's here but is pretty consistent everywhere is this view that, you know, the ethics and compliance folks are really slowing down what the business is trying to do. Because, and I think at any organization, and I think ours is great with this because they, most of the time people try to get you in earlier rather than later on sales and decisions and they know that they need to. But there are times where people will say, wait, you know, after your due diligence on a certain issue or particularly in a certain country, they'll think, you know, we, it's because of our ethics and compliance people, we're being slowed down in this contract or you're not, you know, a business enabler. But I think, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're a problem. But I do think we can be. I yeah. do think very often we actually are because, it, and, I, and I, one thing that's interesting in the education industry is I do think there's a real pride in we are responsible for helping people learn and helping pe people of all ages and anywhere become more educated and improve their lives. So there's a sense of pride in that that is that aligns with doing the right thing because on a pretty basic level, nobody wants to train their children to do the wrong thing. Um, so I think there is that part, I think, has been very unique in this. So there are shortcuts and there are people who may be doing it, but there are also a lot of people who really, you know, are so you know, kind of proud of, I teach, I teach the right way to do things. Now that means sometimes we may all disagree with what that means, but if there's a commitment to, to being ethical and doing, you know, a lot of the right things for that. That's very interesting. And when you compare it now to your past or maybe also to other industries, you, do you see a difference? Meaning do you have less fraud in such an environment than you would have in another industry? Could you say something about it? I'm not sure you also don't have to, but you know. Uh, no, you know, I, I, I think it's hard to, to gauge more than anything else because I think you can have, I mean, for the, you know, the cliche, you can have a, a bad apple anywhere yeah. and you can have people who get, you know, sales, say, people who work in sales may not also always be necessarily people who've been historically in education. Some are and some aren't. Um, I think that, I think the I think business pressures more than industry mm -hmm. are what cause a lot of the challenges. I think there's and I you would know this part better than I would. There's a lot less fraud when you're on the way up and everything's growing and it's you know it's easier and you're it, it's a lot harder when you're in a business that you know has is is in, encountering significant challenges. I mean even in airline catering you know after covid when no one's flying and there are bailouts and everyone's trying desperately to make you know, ends meet, the challenges are higher in education when suddenly you're trying to figure out how to transition into an at-home environment when in some, in, in, in some countries it's much easier than others to be online, but in some countries it's not. When suddenly everything about the books gets changed, there's huge pressures in that. Absolutely. Um, and what we see now over the last 18 months, or also a little bit more right now, fraud cases definitely increased, no matter what kind of industry, because they all have some kind of pressure you know some of them they really have that they are struggling just to get the figures and others they have other pressures like bring your own device getting the people bring the people together have, having new people on board so it really increased and i think it will also over the next few months 
And I think people are very, very nervous about losing their jobs. And I think once you know, it is that kind of thing, you do one thing that, you know, you get away with. Yeah. It suddenly rationalizes and justifies what you can do next. Um, because it's not that you think it's bad anymore. It's what you need to do. And it, are you doing something that's fraudulent or are you doing something to kind of take care of your family? Exactly. Um, I think at the end, if, you know, if the pressure is high enough, we all know what could happen, you know. And yeah. yeah. So may I ask you a little bit more personal questions? And um, as sure. we discussed, you know, I think it's also <laughs> interesting for our listeners to, to understand. So how do you cope with potential issues when it comes to integrity or dilemma situations? And it would be great if you could also maybe share some kind of learnings you had over the past, because your career is quite long right now and maybe much longer than from our listeners. And I think it would be very helpful and um, supporting. Yeah. I mean, I will say one thing that I've learned uh, over the t- over time is it's never as uncomplicated as who the good guys and the bad guys are to some degree. But there are times where you'll have, and, and I've had this challenge before, where somebody will it, it, you know, admit something they did wrong, not knowing that it was wrong. And this is why it's very important to always have witnesses in your interviews and to keep good notes, because I've had that occur where somebody will say, oh, yes, I sent that email or I did that. And it wasn't my responsibility when for some reason it was. And then afterwards, they will realize, wait, that could be a real problem. And then suddenly come back at you and you know, say they misheard or misunderstood. And then it feels it, it feels like somehow first like many of us, you look at, at the situation and you think, was I wrong? Did I do this? You know, you're, you're, at least my first thought was, did I mistake this? Mm-hmm. And then you look back at everything you do. But I think oftentimes, you, I, I think with that, eventually I, I realize, first of all, every no one's perfect. No. But if you do the best you can to keep the records and to make sure that you're clear on what you were asking and what you were doing, um, that was good. But you also realize that there are some people that no matter what are going to blame me for something that went wrong with them because they, you know, they put that out there. And I felt that, you know, at times, and sometimes I also have to remember, it's really not about me, even though it's my personal, my integrity feeling under pressure, it's them realizing somebody's realizing they did something wrong. And as opposed to them saying, I made a mistake, they decide to say instead, I did not say that. You know, that, you know, I did not mean to do that. And she mistook it. And, I, and I've had that happen before. And that's always really hard, especially because these are people's jobs and lives when you're doing these interviews. You know, if they've made mistakes, it's a horrible feeling. It's really nice that you also bring up that topic because we never have it now in the past, also with other interview guests, you know, but it's exactly what we also do all these kind of interviews. And we always have at least one, one person as a witness and with within the room and also taking notes because otherwise it's just not doable and we often have also questions from our clients why do you need to have at least one person in addition and hey, it's just necessary to make sure the quality of the process is really given yeah it's it's really important i think um i think especially when it comes to the the in, the types of types of investigations in anti-bribery and anti-corruption there are certain things that you don't necessarily in some other investigations or you know, you need a couple of quick questions. You don't all, you have to also gauge, you don't want to be in a situation where it's not a witness and it's not something that needs it, that you, you scare someone when you just need them to give you like five invoices. Um, you know, can you give me those and just tell me what dates they were, unless that's a problematic, you know, thing for other reasons. But 
I do think, you know, it's also people's livelihoods that when these things get very serious um, that are being challenged and these are human beings. And even when they made big mistakes, they have families, they have lives, they have bills. And that's, I think, one of the, for me, one of the hardest parts of it. Interesting. And how do you deal with that? Or how did you deal with that? Because I think we have a lot of listeners really who want to be part of these investigation teams. And then mm -hmm. how did you deal with that situation that sometimes when you are sitting in a room having an interviewee in front of you, you exactly know that's just also a human with, a, with an environment and with a family. Yeah, I think one of the hardest parts, I mean, you know, the, the thing for me to realize and that made it easier is to realize that those individuals have actually impacted other people. Mm -hmm. So I try to think about it. You, the moment you're caught up in what you're doing right now, but you're there for a reason. And even somebody who maybe you, know, you think they're coming out in person, they may not have had the same kind of harassing or bullying behavior, but wait, you've had many people who said, this is might not be, this is, you know, maybe a kind of a different thing. But you think to yourself, but if this person can, even if you're impacting them, think about the other people who are being impacted by their behavior. And think about what's happening to the, it's, it's not just the organization that's hurt if somebody's doing something wrong in terms of fraud or other things. It's a credibility, but it's the people that work there. So while it's, it's, it's hard from a human standpoint, sometimes it, it's, you have to remember the people not in the room. And, but I do think it's important to always remember that they are people. They're not just, you know, this isn't just like the bad things that happen. It's, And you can't, and the other thing is you can't win an investigation. Like people okay. think they're going to come up with this moment where someone is going to, you know, like these old courtroom American TV shows. I did it. It's not like no. that. No, it's not. And then no. And you know, it's also not that hard should I say, because if people ask us about these investigations, they say, hey, it's a lot of work and it's a lot, it's a lot of reviewing and having interviews, making documentations. And, you know, it's so important that you mentioned here that it's so crucial that we are not conflicted. That you're also not conflicted in having biases and you're sitting in these rooms with mm -hmm. our interview and um, interview uh, <laughs> interviewee somehow asking the questions because we need to we need to be neutral and we are always fact-based. And I think it's exactly the same on your side. Yeah, I mean I do believe we all have implicit biases and we all have to learn from them. And I'm still, you know, we're all working on that at times. But in there you have to do that. The hardest part for me, and I'm sure this is similar for you is when you have reviewed all the documents and you are ready to go and somebody just lies to your face and they don't think you're going to know anything. And, and it just makes you feel because you really have to then, you know, call them out in some tactful or non-tactful way. But you think to yourself, really, I have a piece of paper. You know, you, you told me that you were, you know, not in this meeting. And then I have your meeting notes from that meeting. Like, you know, please, you know, <laughs> those to me are the hard moments. Lisa, I like this moment. I really love it because when they say <laughs> that, and you know what I also see, but I think we should have another podcast episode about that, you know, they always underestimate you when you're coming into the room, especially when you have these um, corruption and anti-bribery discussions and investigations. Yeah. First of all, they lie to you. You already have all the facts. They underestimate you. And you know what I say to my team today? I have time. Sometimes we have interviews lasting more than six to eight hours. If yeah. they don't want to, you know, We can also play it like that. So, but you know, it's not, yeah, but I like the situation somehow because it tells me, you know, we have the facts, right? we did our work and now it's your turn to tell us what really happened. Right. And then their credibility is not good. And then I was yeah. saying before about when you think these are human beings, then I follow up with this is also a human being that just lied to my face. Yes. So, 
I also, I also tell my little son, you know, I'm used that people lie to me. So don't try it, please. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember somebody telling me something that was just, you know, they, they said to me, no, no, you know, this other organization knows all of these things about me. I said, I just got off the phone with the person who said they didn't believe you were sitting in this office today because somebody who had had two jobs um, and was claiming they didn't. And he, I, he said, are you sure? I said, I don't know how else to tell you, but I just had to tell somebody that you have a desk with a nameplate here. They didn't think you were working here during the day. I did. It was one of those things that was just one of those when I did more HR, HR compliance issues. And I, I, I don't know what he's like. So the guy just he's like, I should probably leave right now. I said, well, yes, probably. That's a good move. Um, <laughs> but I love that. No, they know I'm here. Would it surprise you that I just got off the phone with somebody who said it was impossible that you were here? <laughs> oh, but you know, I think all these different lies we have heard in the past and maybe we'll also hear in the future. I think they are somehow interesting. Uh, but people not, yeah. in, in the, not being in our environment, they can hardly believe what's going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, and if people make mistakes. Lying's different. That's true. Absolutely. That's also, that, you know, a bit, a, in, but lying is really on purpose, and you know it's 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 consciously what they do, and um, that's exactly the difference. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff, and, and we'll probably talk about this. You know, all over the world, certain things like facilitation payments or other payments, in some places they're considered okay, in most organizations, and in most places they're not. But you sometimes have to align that, and that doesn't mean that you're going to accept it from people, but you have to explain to them what their obligations are and why they are different if you work for a, for example, for a publicly traded organization versus a small, you know, a smaller one country that works only within, you know, particular country's culture that you know, there are decisions and consequences you have to make with that. And people generally will understand that once you explain it, but there's a lot of times people will say, but this is just how business is done and, you know, name the country. Exactly. It's kind of like, but it, it isn't by our company. And they do it now for more than 30 years, and they will also not change. That's still the excuse they have, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So thank you very much. So maybe, when you go back, so what do you expect now from the future? You know, do, do you see any potential trends in your industry, but not only? I think it's also important to talk about um, the entire investigation industry right now. Oh, that one is changing so much because the biggest challenge on that is not, and, and I hope, I think this is going to, as time goes on, change a little bit back again. There is a real downside not of not being in the same room and in person with people. Mm -hmm. We've had to adapt and there have been some good tools. And I think there have been some advantages to being able to do that in some circumstances, but there's really no substitute than being able to walk around an office, see who else might be around or be in a city um, in the same, same, same time zone it, yeah. with getting to know people, having them see your face. I think that's been one of the hardest trends of this, this time during investigations, not being able to sit down in a particular place over a period of time and focus. Um, I think some of it will stay, but I think some of that hopefully will go back to normal because I think it's made investigations longer and harder. And how? what is the percentage range right now you have? So how many percentages are you out in the field again? You know, and... Almost none. Almost oh, none. Okay. Because almost are back, none. We are back now for the last three months. We are really back doing all these investigations on-site again, all to the interviews. And we are so much more productive than we have been in the in the months before. Well, unfortunately, with a lot of the travel situations within our organization and me being based in the U.S. has been a bit of a challenge going to a lot of places with quarantine requirements yeah. and other things. And also that 
a lot of people in our business still aren't traveling. So I think it's, I, I, there's, a, there's a little bit more of it and I think it will pick up into next year, but it is a lot harder to, to, to justify. Um, and, but I think we've had, but I, I do think it will change more in my organization, but I, I, I see a lot of my peers just starting again, um, particularly in, in the U S or even some of it in the, we've got so many in the U S and the UK and, I mean, a, a lot of investigations might be somewhere in Asia or India or somewhere else. And that's a, a tough travel situation. Now, if I had something in the U.S., it would probably be a lot easier to do. But a lot of our people are not traveling as much. But in Europe, like what you're saying, and people that I know, they are doing a lot more of it. Now, again, you know, overseas, for example, we're also not doing. You know, some of our clients we have in the, in the Middle East, we haven't seen for more than one and a half years right now. So just and it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And what other trends do you see? Because also when we go to HR, for example, what I see is that it's so difficult to find the right people also when it comes to investigations. I think it's hard. It is. It's hard to find the right people, the right approach, yeah. um, especially because it varies a lot what you need to do to be a good investigator. And I think we all have to still keep learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about biases before, but the more investigations you do, sometimes some days you realize you feel a little more cynical than you'd like to. But I think it's harder to find people to get it. You know, some people are really excited about it. I mean, from an HR standpoint, I think there's also when you talk about human resources is what's the interrelation and function between ethics and compliance um, individuals and investigations and HR teams, where does one end and the other start? And then now we throw in a lot of the sustainability and corporate, uh, you know, ESG work that's so big right now. How do we handle all of that together? That I do see as a big trend as well. Absolutely. And I think also for us, you know, being in the investigation fields, I think ESG, SDG, these are going to be the next fields which need to be investigated. Yeah. I mean, I think that I I absolutely agree. I think, and I think it's all a challenge and I think it's a remembering the human side of it. We were talking about earlier, but I also, there's a lot of substantive concerns and at the speed that technology evolves. Now we go so much faster in a couple of years than I think some of the people before us did in in like 10 years. Absolutely. So sometimes I think, how do we make sure that we are not losing track on that? You know, if you see a four-year-old using like a, you know, like an iPad or a screen, they're better at it than almost anybody. And that is a little scary when, you know, we're trying to figure out what someone might, a technology person might have done within systems. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, I don't know what's coming up, but I think we are quite close to to the polls, what's going on here, especially yeah. because we have to, otherwise we are not able to, to conduct all our investigations here. Yeah. And, and I think uh, in the larger context with the investigations and with ethics and compliance as a whole, I do think we are evolving more away from the traditional investigator role and more of the in the business and communicating with people mm-hmm. regularly role. I think for a long time it was, you know, you came into town, you know, rolling in with your investigation and your holding. It's not like that anymore, which no. I think is good. That's true. You know, I think also with our clients, you're not only there when you have investigations, we're also there when we when we do the prevention part, we do the detectional side, also do, you know, I think it's it's a it, yeah, that's true. We are there much more than we have been maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, we want to be more like trusted advisors so yeah. that people will also, when you investigate, know that you're not in there coming after them just to try to figure out on some issues. I mean, there are times where that may have to, unfortunately, is the way, but you want other people to be able to say and know you look, these are, this is a, you know, this is a decent human being who's coming in here to do this, not someone who's, you know, 
coming in to figure out if they can arrest somebody. I mean, that happens also. I mean, there are bad things that happen every so often, but I do think it's a, a change in how to approach some of that. Mm-hmm. And I think we've gotten closer to sort of a human aspect of it. I think HR has also, human resources people have gotten closer to looking at, you know, workforce cap as capital. So I think it's kind of an interesting, you know, mm-hmm. overlap. Absolutely. So if you would have one wish, or if you have one wish, for example, what would it be what you could share with us when it comes to corporate integrity? I think the idea of focusing more on, I I think I say, ethical decision making, the idea of thinking about it more than laws and regulations, but that people think about more, how do we do the right thing? And how do we talk about that? Um, That's my hope. It's not just the law says we need to do that, but questioning what the intention and the thought behind that are and what that means to us. I think that um, and, and why it's important. And the, that would really be my wish as opposed to we have to do this, but looking at it the same way people look at mm-hmm. um, sustainability or corporate social responsibility as we do the right thing in, in every context and actually looking at things like Ethosphere and others that show that ethical organizations make more money. They do better. You yes. do better if you're a good country, company. And we can also compare it, you know, I think years ago, it wasn't possible to compare it, but now we really also have the tools to do so. And we have to prove that it's worse to have corporate, a corporate culture and um, fostering corporate integrity and um, ethical leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. So Lisa, thank you very much. I think we also have to have um, other episodes together, maybe also next year or so. Well, I would love it. And the other thing is, you know, I'm very excited um, to talk to you and ask you some similar and different questions. So because we would love to have you on, on, Great women in compliance. So I'm putting it out there on your podcast, so then you'll come back on ours, which should be okay, my well, It was a pleasure, and I think we could also go uh, go on for hours. But now, also, <laughs> I think it was so it was so so great that we that you shared your experience, your thoughts, and also you know what you how you put it all into into the context. Because with your long time experience you have right now, I think it's really great value we have received right now. So I wish you now all the best for your future orchestrating whatever you have to within your firm. And um, also when it comes to corporate integrity. Thank you very, well, very thank much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This was the new episode of the Human Factor Corporate Integrity Matters, following the motto Corporate Integrity Secures and Empowers Individuals and Organizations. Thank you for listening. My name is Sonja Stiernimann and I'm your host. Stay curious, actionable and a role model. Take care and goodbye. Would you like to learn more, meet peers and getting qualified? So visit the website Corporate Integrity Concepts or Corporate Integrity Academy. Or do you think this podcast could be interesting for someone you know? Sharing is caring and we are always happy to welcome your peers to our community. And if you like this episode, subscribe and don't miss any of the future ones. The show notes are, of course, enriched with relevant information and your connection via any of the social media channels is highly appreciated and will be answered. Promised. And please do not forget topics of your interest or interview partners are highly welcome. Just send me a note on any of the channels you know.